Welcome to the RentBits Rental Talk podcast, where we interview thought leaders within the rental and real estate industry, discuss current rental market trends, and get their thoughts on how to grow a successful real estate business. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Here's your host, Dan Doherty. All right. Welcome to today's episode. Today, we're going to talk about the state of the commercial real estate market. And I have a very special guest, Brett. I've known Brett, I don't know, over 12 years now. Um, he was the first to get us into our RentBits first headquarters that we had in the Denver Tech Center. Uh, I have Brett Davis here with Mile High Commercial Advisors. Brett, thank you so much for coming into our new podcast studio. It's awesome in here. I love it. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Let's let's jump right on into it. You know, um, it must have been 2005 or 2006, um, even before the Great Depression uh, of 2008. And I remember you were talking about the supply and demand, specifically within the Denver uh, real estate market. We were looking at downtown Denver. We were looking at DTC. And we decided to go to DTC because that's where I lived at the time. And um, we were able to get really, really good deals on a cost per square foot. Um, and I believe the first the first contract we signed was what five years, five year contract. If you I, remember, I think it was a three year deal if I remember correctly. And that was in DTC, and it was you just did a killer job of getting us in. And, and then the market crashed in 08, and then we outgrew our space and wanted to move closer to downtown. Um, pricing started to increase. Um, what is it now? Now we're in 2018, going on to 2019. We have companies like Google uh, coming in. I mean, Boulder's blowing up, right? We mm-hmm. have we have very large businesses coming from outside of Colorado. They're literally moving their headquarters into into Colorado. You have some that are moving out. Chipotle um, is now moving to. I think they already moved, but they're in California. Newport now, right? Beach, right? Newport Beach. Um, but we have. Uh, I think it was uh, North Face. Mm-hmm. It moved and now is in downtown. Right. Yeah. Right. They'll be moving in later. Well, sometime this spring, they're officially moving in. And uh, and do you know how many square foot they're square feet they're getting? Just under three hundred thousand feet. They took down three hundred thousand feet. They took the old Gates headquarters space in Lower Downtown. And uh, that's off of I twenty five in Broadway, right? No, that's uh, that's a different Gates location. This one is right downtown, right close to the Pepsi Center, 15th and Wazi, basically. And uh, they're, so they're moving how many employees? A couple hundred, probably, right? Uh, I believe I saw 600. 600 moving away from wherever they were before. I don't even know what state they were coming they from. They were one of the Carolinas. It was South or North Carolina. I don't recall which. Gosh. And then I just saw Zio is, um, is taking over the Chipotle Right, yeah. That, so they just took down another sixty thousand feet, in addition to what they have in Boulder. Uh, they, I think, what they found is they were having a harder, harder and harder time attracting the talent they want in Boulder. A lot of the tech workers now want to be downtown, Lodo, kind of that cool hip area uh, where a lot of singles are, and Boulder's having a harder and harder time attracting talent. Surprisingly enough, is that. Um... Is that just because, I mean, you have, obviously have, you have Colorado University there, right? CSU. Mm-hmm. Um, are more and more um, people just living in Denver and commuting to Boulder? Or is it just the, the amount of, of land that they, they have there? It's, it's just, I think Boulder got so priced out from a housing perspective. And once uh, the whole Union Station transformation kind of took place, 
more and more companies opening offices in right in downtown Denver and not being in the burbs. Uh, it's driven a lot of people to rent downtown, to live downtown, to not commute, to be able to walk to work or take the light rail real quick. And so that's, I, I think you're seeing more growth in Lodo than any other part of, of Colorado and especially Denver. Uh, but it's just where employees want to be. And, and Rhino's taken off too. I know um, Craig Smith, um, who's on our board of advi- advi- uh, board of directors with RentBits uh, in the past, and uh, is now helping run Home Advisor there in Golden or Lakewood now, mm-hmm. and they're moving their headquarters to, uh, I believe, Rhino. Correct. Yeah, and so Rhino is arguably the hottest submarket in the entire country. the The rates at which those buildings and, and land have have traded at value. I mean, the old. Um, uh, there's an old sausage factory building that traded hands. And in six months, the owners literally made a million dollars just by doing nothing, sitting on it six months. And so you're seeing so many dollars come in from out of state chasing, just chasing commercial real estate in general. It, it's it's amazing the amount of volume that is out there. And you're seeing it in Lodo, you're seeing it in Rhino, and you know, you're seeing it really throughout. Is that slowing down? No, I see no slowdown whatsoever. Really? So there, from a, a commercial real estate perspective within the Denver area, you're not seeing – is it hard to get a client into – are you competing? On the leasing side, it's not as bad as it was, say, 12, 18 months ago. I, I feel like the velocity of deals is down just a little bit, but certainly not significantly. But it's the amount of money that's chasing to purchase – uh, the real estate. So it's all these real estate investment trusts. It's a lot of private money. It's a lot of, of uh, private equity money chasing. Everyone's so bullish on the Denver market in general. So, you know, for example, when FedEx put their new distribution uh, building up for uh, up for sale, they had it was a build the suit. They agreed to a 10-year lease and threw it out on the market for sale. And I believe they had 42 offers for that at an exceptionally low cap rate. So did they did they take advantage of that? They did, yeah. So absolutely. Uh, so you know, I, I I don't know who ended up buying that building. Uh, it was one of the large REITs, but they you know they did it at like a, a sub five cap. And so you start thinking about you know it's a poor poor return on investment, but it just shows you how bullish people are on Denver. Long term, are most of those going into um, retail space, commercial space, or uh, mixed housing apartments? What are you saying? Most no, it, it's a lot of office and industrial. The industrial market is hotter than it's ever been. The the you know finally there's some new product that's coming online. So the industrial, the pent up demand, has been satisfied just a little bit. But again, on the on the ownership side of things, you're still seeing a lot of people trying to dump money into industrial product right now. And you don't you don't see that slowing down. You see more and more people. Uh, you know, we we still have quite a bit of uh, migration happening outside of the state coming into Colorado. Mm-hmm. We have uh, one of the best places to live. Um, the weather's amazing here. Although my my parents still think it's like below zero. And I've been here <laughs> been here sixteen years. And uh, you know, and my dad will call me and said, "Hey, I'm I'm watching the news right now, and it looks like it's negative fifteen degrees." My dad, it's 64 degrees outside right now. Right. It's sunny. I'm golfing. Right. Everything's good. Yeah. So everyone looks at the mountains as if that, you know, mm-hmm. it's the same type of climate here. Um, so, so we have that going for us. We have a high, really high educated workforce. 
a relatively young workforce. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of these multinational companies coming in to set up shop here. Um, some are moving their headquarters. A lot are just having satellite offices. And when we say satellite offices, when you and I met, I was at Google. Our satellite office was where there was two of us. And then I think that grew right. to like 50. <laughs> Maybe it was more, 100. Mm-hmm. Now these satellite offices are thousands, 5,000, 10,000 people. Amazon yeah, is here. Does, mm-hmm. Do people even know Amazon is in Colorado? I don't think people really do. I don't think people have a sense that Amazon, you know, they see, they might see the big distribution building off of I-25 up north or what they have out in Aurora. But I don't think they understand that, you know, you start looking at a, a tenant roster, if you will, of of tenants downtown, that Amazon's on there, that Google's on there, that Facebook is now on there. And the list goes on and on. And as you're saying, Denver's become such a attractive sort of sister city or satellite office city for a lot of the Bay Area companies because they're out there in the Bay Area paying $150 a square foot uh, per year in rent. And then come here and have, you know, a brand new building at $50, $55 all in. And their employees can afford to buy a home here versus being out in the Bay Area. You know, it's, it's, it's half the cost. So, again, I think employers are listening more and more to their employees of where they want to be, of quality of life. And Denver has all that going for it right now, uh, more so than probably any other city. I mean, Nashville's certainly hot. And, you know, you hear Austin and, and you know, it's sort of the, the, the top three or four cities you hear. Denver, Austin, Nashville, you know, throw Charlotte in the mix maybe. But all in all, when you really start to look at the statistics, I think Denver still appears to be the hottest market and, and with no end in sight anytime soon. So will we reach a, a point where it gets too expensive? Maybe at some point, but I still think that's quite a ways off. When you start to look at, again, all the other factors, all the other areas, it's not like Denver is significantly more to to live in than most of those other cities. So I just don't see it slowing down anytime soon. I do think you'll start to see a slowdown of the amount of money chasing real estate here. Uh, I think people will start to see other opportunities in other sub-markets, you know, Phoenix, I'm hearing a lot of right now. Um, so so where does this go? You know, hard to say. And interest rates with them starting to creep up, I think that's definitely going to have an impact. But to what extent? It's a little early to tell. From, from 12, 15 years ago, um, I think our first, I think it was like 5,000 square feet, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, are, is your average square foot per client increasing? Um, meaning the smaller 5,000 or below, are you seeing a lot of those clients maybe not opt, opt in for a triple net lease, but rather maybe do some co-working space, maybe go to galvanize, maybe go to WeWork. Um, are you seeing those types of, of companies start there? And then as they outgrow that space, they call you up and say, all right, now we need 10, 20, 30, 40,000 square feet. Are, are, you, are you seeing the way people are buying or leasing change from just a decade ago? Maybe just a little bit. I think you see it in that, you know, now there's more co-working options than there ever were. And, you know, to that point, WeWork is on pace now for next year to be the largest tenant in Denver, uh, more so than DeVita. So they'll, they'll control roughly 600,000 feet here in the next year. And so, you know, those spaces, WeWork's doing well. So those spaces will be filled. And so I think what you start to see is a lot of people that are two, three, four, five person shops that maybe were working out of their home uh, can now collaborate and be in one spot and do that. 
And as those companies grow, then then they are looking. But I don't see a lot of tenants that are five, six, seven thousand feet staying in a WeWork for too long because the price model is so substantial instead of you know versus having your own space. So I think a lot of companies and we're working with one at the moment now that they're in a WeWork spot um, down by Platte River, and there are eight of them, and they've finally they're adding twelve. Uh, sorry, they're adding four more for twelve total. And they just started to look at the model and said, you know what? We can go at least 3,000 feet. It makes a lot more sense. We can have our own identity. We don't have to kind of put up with the quote-unquote riffraff of all the people coming in and out of WeWork and maybe not having quite the professional appearance that these guys want to have. They're more of a suit-and-tie kind of uh, firm. So they've just decided it's a good time to move on. It, before before this uh, episode, I was, I was talking to someone who is automating transportation. And, um, and one of the things they're doing is the scooters that you see, I don't oh, know if sure. you see them downtown uh-huh. mm-hmm. you see like Lime and some of these other ones. I just saw a guy totally, totally <laughs> crack his head open. No way. Oh, salad went flying. He had a lunch on there. <laughs> <laughs> I felt bad, but once I knew he's okay, I started laughing. <laughs> well, you're seeing more of those, uh, happening. In fact, I just saw the Denver, um, Denver legislature, I think they, they're starting to put speed limits on the how fast they can go on the sidewalks oh, really? and, and the streets. Yeah, like 16 miles per hour. Um, but it's actually quite interesting. And it's you see this whole ecosystem where you wouldn't think that that uh, making transportation better downtown, who would have thought scooters sure. would eliminate a lot of the traffic, would make it easier to live downtown mm-hmm. without a car? Because that was our biggest pet peeve when we were looking out that downtown was parking was, oh, great, we have, to, we have to drive in. Now we see a lot of people just living downtown or close and then not even having a car they uber it there was no uber Mm -hmm. back when we when we met there was no of these lines there was no there was none of these right um is that having an impact do you think i mean just from a i guess from a a city perspective it's making it better but from a commercial real estate perspective is it making it better Uh, you know i think there's a little bit there's kind of two factors to that it's sort of double-edged sword. I think you're seeing, you know, one parking spots downtown have, have increased significantly from, you know, when we were looking, you know, you rented a space and if you're paying for your employees, you were 110, $120 per space per month. And now that, that number is double. It's 220, 240 a space per month. So you're starting to see employees want, or employers rather want to get away from paying for their employee parking because it is, it certainly has increased. But the other thing, I was just on a tour uh, last week with a client, and we were looking at a couple of spaces, and they were on the outer edge, if you will, of of you know the central business district. And one of the caveats they tried to to throw at us is, hey, we have all these scooters right here, so you know for lunchtime, it's not like you're you, you know you still have all the options that you had if you're if you're three blocks over. But hey, you can just hop on the scooter and and go to whatever lunch spot you want, go to whatever meeting you have right downtown, come back. It's, you know, it's no different than walking or or anything else. So it's quick. And so I do think that there's a, there's a positive impact to that. And, and there is a positive impact to, you know, again, there's a lot of people downtown don't want to own a car, don't need to own a car because they've got everything they need. They're close to their office. They're close to a grocery store and they're close to all the nightlife they want after work. Just, just don't uh, drop your salad and hit your head on, yeah, yeah. on the way to work. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> in a suit, especially. <laughs> well, let's let's actually talk about some unique uh, commercial space off a of sixth. Uh, it's probably a couple years old. 
uh, you, you probably know exactly how old it is. We'll mm-hmm. talk about it, but it's it's something that most Americans <laughs> don't know what it is, or if they see it uh, on the Olympics, they laugh hysterically. Mm-hmm. And I am so intrigued by this. This is curling. We now have, I would say, probably one of the the best curling places in, in probably the United States is here in Colorado, right? Absolutely. No, we, we have a world-class facility and we have a, even it, it sounds funny to say this, like our ice maker, who's the only paid employee of the entire operation is highly regarded as probably the, the, you know, in the top two or three ice makers in the country. He is highly sought after and, and we have Olympic, basically we have Olympic style ice that we can play on every night of the week. So for those uh, uh, listeners that don't know what curling is, what is it? <laughs> it's it's shuffleboard on ice for for lack of any better term. That's the easiest way to put it. It is just you throw a forty two pound granite rock down the ice, and each team has eight stones, and each pl- uh, each team has four players. Four players, and, and I, I see them with a broom. Mm-hmm. That does that make it speed up or slow down so or move? The broom can make the rock go further, and it can also make the rock go straighter. So. The, the whole idea of curling, when you let the rock go, it, it can curl sideways across the ice as much as six feet. So when you have guards in place up, up above what is called the house, the target, if you will, um, you will see people trying to move their rock uh, behind that guard and it curls behind there. But sometimes if it's close to the guard, you can sweep and avoid it, uh, uh, any collision. So how much money could a professional curler make? Are they are they sponsored by like brought to you by Red Bull? The the top top curlers in the US, no, they they make almost nothing. Um you win a couple of tournaments here and there and there and there's some prize money in that, but again, by the time you travel and have hotels and all of that, you're really not making much money. The top curling teams in Canada, a handful of them probably do pretty well. As in, they might make as a as a team with all their sponsors and all of that, they might make a million dollars in total. Um, so they're at least making a living, and that's not a million dollars each. They, you know, it's two hundred thousand per person, two hundred fifty something like that. But um, really, it's only the top teams in Canada that are really making any money. Gosh, well, um, you guys just made nationals, right? We did, we did. We're excited about it. So you, you have a team of four, right? So there's three others. Mm-hmm. And you made nationals. So how many teams make nationals? So 10 teams make nationals. There's 10, 10 different regions, if you will, throughout the U.S. So obviously, as you get into the northern states, they are smaller regions because it's a much more popular game as you get closer to the Canadian border. So North Dakota has their own region. Minnesota has their own region. Um, New York is combined with a couple of other uh, states up that way. But um, you've got Seattle, Oregon, California. That's one region. So anyway, it's 10 in all, and uh, it, it goes in Minnesota in March this year. Minnesota in March. Why Why Denver? Uh, this facility has got to be in the millions, multi-million dollar mm-hmm. facility. Why build it here? Who built it? What's the reasoning behind it? So the Denver Curling Club actually has existed as an entity since the 60s. And a lot of it was there were a lot of Canadian transplants down here, mostly from the oil and gas side. And they said, well, we love curling. And so they were able to start a small league and it grew and grew in popularity. And in the 80s and 90s, Denver had their own dedicated curling facility. And then the membership started to tail off. 
prices started to go up. It was just a leased facility and the club had to shut down. And a, a handful of people stayed with the club. And in 07, we're able to get some arena ice just down at the ice ranch in Littleton on Friday and Saturday nights, the two nights that hockey players didn't want to play. They gave it to the curling guys and it started to grow in a little popularity. And, and with the help of the Olympics, enough people would see it and say, gee, I, you know, I'd like to try it. It looks, how hard can it be? It looks so simple. <laughs> so that, that happened. And it just, we caught on more and more people and all of a sudden our Friday and Saturday night leagues were filled and we had more and more people interested. And we started to look at how do we build a dedicated facility that we can use seven nights a week and try and really increase our membership. And we, we looked at a number of different options. And then luckily we had a very generous member of the club basically underwrite the note to build this facility. And it's a roughly $3 million facility. We had help with obviously the members. Um, all of the members certainly gave some money. It's a, it's a complete nonprofit organization, only one paid employee to run the, the building, but it runs on a lot of volunteer and a lot of volunteer hours. Well, hopefully uh, I can be a, a member guest. Absolutely. No, we'd love to have you out. It's, <laughs> it's a riot. Everyone, you know, it's, it's, I think, and I mean, I'm probably biased only because I'm a, a you know, <laughs> a member there and spend a lot, spend more time there than my wife would ever want me to. But when we do corporate um, team building events, we, we do a lot of them. And they are so, pe- people leave there just amped up, so excited. Everyone's kind of on the same footing. It's not like, you know, companies that have a golf tournament and there's some great golfers and some that only golf once a year and some people don't enjoy it as much. Everyone starts on equal footing. Everyone pretty much sucks. And, you know, some really want to learn more about it. Some just come out for the two hours and have a beer afterwards and love it. But the feedback we get on our corporate events is all highly, highly positive. So you mentioned corporate events. So I'm wearing a jacket here, the Sanctuary. Mm-hmm. You familiar with that? Yeah, absolutely. Of yeah. Remax. And um, there's a lot of uh, nonprofit mm-hmm. corporate events that go there, weddings, I believe. But you can't just go and, and golf. Mm-hmm. As a corporation, can and I guess you have to know a member, but can you pay to have a corporate, maybe a Christmas event or holiday event at, at this uh, facility? Absolutely. Yeah. So So we do corporate events weekly. And we usually do two or three a week, quite honestly. We are, are the interest that we have is, is just second to none. I mean, our phone rings off the hook all the time. So we have everything from small, you know, eight person companies come out and, and spend two hours out on the ice. They learn how to curl. And then afterwards they can have a drink and, and socialize and do whatever they want to do. Um, but we've had, we just had actually major league baseball, um, one of their big contingencies come out. They had members from every team, all all on the uh, executive side and administrative side. But we had 280 people out from Major League Baseball and ran them through a learn to curl event. They all got to come out. They all got to try throwing several rocks, play two end games. Uh, and again, they, then they had it all catered, brought a bunch of food in, and everyone had drinks afterward. And it, it was a fantastic event. That sounds like so much fun. Do you get some of your clients to participate if you, I, you know, so yeah. I, yeah, so I did and, and I, you couldn't make it, but I did a event out there, I think it's three years ago now. Um, and I've actually been thinking about trying to put another one together, but just as a thank you for all my clients, get them out, let them try it again. It's a, it's a two hour event. You just, you know, wear some warm, comfortable clothes and 
two hours, learn how to throw a rock, learn how to sweep, play a little mock game. And, uh, and then again, it's a very, the, the great thing about curling, it's a very social sport. So the unwritten rule in curling is that the winners of a game always buy the losers a drink and everyone sits around afterwards. And it's, so it's a very social, social game. And I think that's part of the reason it's, it's becoming so popular with everybody. Kind of like bowling. It, it is. It, it's, it's very similar to bowling. Well, Brett, thank you so much. We're out of time here, but uh, very knowledgeable. It was it was good to learn about the commercial real estate, specifically in Denver, um, and also curling. I mean, that's kind of <laughs> kind of interesting. Now you've piqued my interest. Yeah. Well, no, we'd love to have you out for sure. I, I'd love to have you back on. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Go to rentbits.com forward slash podcast for show notes and more. 